Malcolm Honeline is in Israel. That's always an extra treat for us uh, when we speak with him on a Friday morning. He's in the Holy Land. Pretty amazing. Malcolm Honeline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you, especially as I look out on the old city of Jerusalem and wish everybody could be here. Oh, amen to that. There are a lot of people in Israel who wish all of us could be there. Uh, I would imagine that uh, the tourism industry, which may not be as important to Israel as some of us in the diaspora think it is, because I understand that uh, to us it's always a big focus, but in Israel it's just one part of the whole economic picture. But I would assume that if it was active and if it was the way it was about a year ago, it would be much better for thousands and thousands of people. A good message to keep in mind, Mr. Holmline, as people wonder whether they should be traveling to Israel now during this time. You would say now is as good as ever, if not better than ever, to to travel to Israel for for many reasons. One, uh, the weather is beautiful here today. I'm in Jerusalem; it's gorgeous. Uh, the sun is out, and it's um, and it was beautiful yesterday as well. I'm here at the Inbal Hotel, I know your favorite, and it's packed. There are so many groups here: it's Jews, there are even Christian groups, uh, and there's a, a community from Kiryat Shimona who who were misplaced, who were forced to leave and they're here uh, but the hotel is full of american tourists and europeans and others the all the hotels are similarly uh, reporting the same that people are coming mostly on solidarity missions to express it physically their commitment as people have done financially and with chesed with so many other ways but there's nothing that replaces being here and helping and to make sure that um, the workers uh, have an income again. They went for many months, very difficult months, and there's so many who uh, are facing difficulties. 20% of the workforce is in the army, um, and many businesses have been sidelined because of the war. So whatever we can do to help economically is really vital. And uh, as you know, we've spent a lot of time at the Inbal Hotel over the last couple of months, including starting this coming Wednesday, please God. And if there's one thing the people from Kirich Mona have said to me, it's that they every day they struggle with the decision about whether to go back or not because they their lives and their livelihood is up north, obviously. And for those who would be allowed to go back, again, depending on Army restrictions, permission, etc., they struggle every day with that question. That's just one of the so many things that our brothers and sisters in Israel are struggling with. Um, something to keep in mind as we continue to... Uh, to live this life on this side of the world. By the way, you're in Israel, and I'm sorry for doing this because most people would think, especially after we didn't speak last week, that I'd start with news in Israel. But I, I got to get your reaction to what happened before last Friday. Um, I mean, we've spoken to a few people on the air, some in the area of education, about this uh, episode. But I need your reaction, as do many of our listeners, based on their uh, uh, communications with me, to the congressional hearing that took place about 10 days ago uh, and that featured so to speak three of the top um, academic leaders in this country we're talking about the presidents of harvard mit and penn we need your reaction what did you think 
Well, I think that um, Jewish organizations ought to be honoring the three presidents and paying tribute to them. Uh, and before people go crazy with that, uh, let me just say that I think <laughs> I think so because they did more to wake people up to the reality wow. of what we are facing than any other person that I know or people that I know. That many who were skeptical, and you know that I've been preaching this for more than a decade, warning about this the rise of anti-Semitism. It's not something that just happened, <clears throat> but we're seeing this rapid. Uh, expansion and increasing virulence of the anti-Semitism. But that hearing, which was seen many, many millions of times, maybe even hundreds of millions of times, brought home to many people, Jews and non-Jews alike, the reality of what is happening to American society and particularly what's happening on American campuses. When the three presidents, and this was not picked up in the media reports by and large, uh, were asked, do you recognize Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state? And they said, finally, that they recognize Israel's right to exist, but none of the three would say as a Jewish state. Wow. Then, of course, came the answer about context and whether the calls for genocide violated their standards. But that first answer, which to me was equally telling, uh, <clears throat> but the so I think, number one, it it brought to to stark reality brought the stark reality home to many people uh, i can see from the calls that we've gotten and from the reactions i get people are now questioning where they can send their kids to school the reality of harvard which has been ranked as the lowest on the scale of, of free speech and has long had a reputation for for the anti-semitism um I think for many, Penn was a surprise to see it, but but the fact is that on campus there have been problems. Uh, but across the country, we are having and experiencing these anti-Semitic incidents. People, you know, know about the individual things, but this brought it together for them. And I think the actions of, of Ackman and the cutting of financial support, Harvard has $50 billion in its endowment. But when they lose a billion dollars of donations of cash that they're ready to, to use for their media programs and stuff, even for them, it hurts. But certainly it hurt at Penn when Mark Rowan and others and, and bringing home the message that we're not going to support institutions. Many of them, their buildings of these three places bear the names of, of members of the Jewish community who were extremely generous to them. And hopefully there will be a, a, a reawakening. And you see that YU does not have an empty class, uh, uh, President Berman has told me, and uh, an empty seat in the classrooms. Uh, more and more people are going to come to recognize that we're going to need the places that are safe. I saw Catholic universities that were advertising or as making you know public uh, appeals to Jewish students saying that they would guarantee them a safe environment because you know they're not beset by this um, DEI and, and woke culture and the permissiveness. Um, uh, of the campuses allowing the anti-Semitic incidents that have been going on for a long time. The A.E. Pi homes, houses on a lot of campuses have been attacked over the years, and I reported it on the program. But I know people were skeptical, and some people even came to me and were critical, and they're saying, you know, you talk about the anti-Semitism, it's depressing, it's not 
it's not depressing. What's happening now is depressing. What? And it's because we didn't do enough about it. Why do you think the action was so different? What, what Was the Penn situation the exception to the rule? Really, the Board of Trustees and the administration of these schools were not going to release anybody. We're not going to hold any of them accountable with their jobs, with their positions. But Penn was, was the exception, or do you view it differently? Why was the action so different, what Penn did, compared to the others? Well, I'm not sure we're going to know about the others. MIT's board voted to support the president, I think, in the Harvard case. And, you know, the president of Harvard went to the Chabad menorah lighting last night. Uh, I'm sure we'll take other advantage of other opportunities to try and, and show that uh, their views are not reflected in what she said there. But others say that 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 that, that is not the case. And now the charges of her plagiarism and other things that will come up. So I don't know that in the long term, her tenure won't come to uh, an end. But it it has shaken up the other universities. And the fact that Penn and the new new chairman of Penn is a very active Jewish leader and comes from a very committed Jewish family, a Baron family who supported YU and many other institutions over the years. And she is the the president of the Jewish Federation of North America, amongst other things. I think that the, the, the resignation of the chairman who backed the president really unconditionally was a necessary step as well. And there again, I think that the reaction of the donors, the, uh, the statements that they made and the fact that they were willing to go public. You know, often we've had letters written to presidents and universities, but people were hesitant right. to, to challenge him. This right. time they went public. And, you- and I think the other thing that really works is when students started losing their job offers from law firms, for right. instance. What? And when they started and when employers started asking for the names of those who signed these awful petitions, it doesn't mean that they can't be critics and they can't have differences of opinions. Right. You know, people are distorting the nature of this debate. That's not what it's about. What? This is challenging Israel's right to exist and cross the line quickly into blatant anti-Semitism. What an important distinction you make. What an important distinction you make, because you've seen for so many decades a lot of this activity behind the scenes, quietly, uh, letter writing, people getting contacted by others, but here it's all being played out literally in the public eye, the one big gigantic public eye. That's such an important distinction. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, okay, a couple other things regarding this, then we'll get, of course, to Israel, which is the most important. Um, you've always stressed to us that despite everything going on, even in the current situation, congressional support is as strong as ever. American support, you've stressed on this show, is strong, right? Percentages in polls that still support Israel, etc. However, Look at what's happening with those under 30. Is that frightening to you that those polls do not reflect the same type of support for Israel that we've been used to over the years? Frightening, but not surprising. We've seen this trend, and these are, this is the generation, A, that knows no history. If you ask them what river and what sea they want to be free, none of them, the vast majority of those polled, who have participated in demonstrations don't know. Right. They've done everything from the Nile River to the Atlantic Ocean to everything that has, was in their answers. They don't know. They don't know the history. They have no background. History has been forgotten. You know, history starts yesterday or whenever it's convenient for the particular argument that's put forward. They don't know 
and and therefore they fall victim to to the lies, the distortions about who really subjugates the people in Gaza and everywhere else. That the billionaire leaders sit in in Gaza, in um, Qatar, and in, live in luxury, and their their people suffer in in Gaza because of of the kleptocracy and the billions of dollars in aid that they get gets um, you know pocketed, and then you see the food aid going on going in gets hijacked by Hamas uh, terrorists and, and the people don't benefit from it. So, number one, we have a generation that has no sense of history and no context that are easily persuaded by some influencer or uh, source on the Internet uh, who, who, who puts forward these lies and claims and you can distort and misrepresent anything. Even if they correct it, by the time you correct it, the lie is already spread around the world several times. Yeah. And we see that six months later it gets recirculated and then again and again and again, even in some ludicrous cases uh, that we've seen, you know, about uh, some of the reports. And, and no matter how often they're debunked, it doesn't help. So that that's one. Two, that the people who knew, who lived through World War II, who know the history of Israel, remember 1948, 67, 73, the older people, so support is solid. And, and American people across the board, all faiths, all races, uh, it's a majority of support. But as you get younger, it becomes the, the end thing. It's a vogue. It become, Israel becomes the target. Those who hate America go against Israel. Those who hate God go against Israel. It's, it's a way for them to protest and to advocate their communist or bigoted, extreme left, extreme right, Islamist ideologies become the, the Israel becomes the focal point for their protests. So we are seeing the results now of years of indoctrination. The fact that we have disclosed and seen disclosed the only part yet of the degree to which Qatar and others have influenced through billion-dollar contributions. Maybe $13 billion has already been accounted for, but I will bet it'll prove to be double that. And then came from other sources as well where they influenced directly the curriculum. Because we know there's a direct correlation between foreign funding and the rise of anti-Semitism on campuses. Mm. The young people today are all victims of that culture where they were trained, where they were taught, they were told in classes and they could say the most horrific things. And when we protested, universities say, well, it's freedom of speech, academic freedom. Now, for the first time, and again, why this thing with the three presidents was so important is that it busted that balloon that no longer could they simply hide behind that, you know, ivory tower and claim immunity from any criticism. Yeah, excellent point. Um, Should we be concerned that the families of hostages were not invited to the White House Hanukkah celebration? No, they had a meeting with the president. I think that that was important. Um, I mean, it would have been a nice gesture, I guess so. But uh, I think much more important is that they had the opportunity to talk to the president one-on-one and to make the case for increased efforts. There are still a lot of Americans amongst those that are being held. As you know, they recovered one body. Um, And the estimate is that there may be as many as 20 dead, but the rest are believed to be alive. And we have to continue to expend every effort possible to bring them home now, every one of them, without exception. 
and that uh, I think Israel remains committed. We know there are some talks going on behind the scenes, supposedly, uh, whether they were broken off today or not, uh, I haven't confirmed. But, uh, you know, the Hamas will, will just continue to exploit this for as long as they can. They don't care about their soldiers being killed or people being killed. They value death, not life. Israelis, of course, will do anything for to return those people alive, short of committing suicide, which is what the world is demanding of them when they say that they want an immediate ceasefire or, or um, uh, you know, a, a permanent ceasefire right now without the complete removal of Hamas. It's not what any Arab leader wants. It's not what any Israeli leader could tolerate. For the sake of the region, the sake of the world, Hamas has to be completely defeated. Yeah, no question about that. Um, obviously, tremendous concern for the hostages. Uh, before you just said what you said, where you said the believed to be 20, the others still alive, I was starting to think that one of the reasons that negotiations had broken off and that they really, you know, have not taken advantage of what another pause would give them and we know would be a big advantage for the enemy, I was thinking, God forbid, that there are a lot more who are, who are not with us anymore than are with us. But at this point, you're saying that the majority of the hostages, according to all sources, is that the majority of them are, thank God, still around. Are believed to be alive and around we we don't have any hard evidence there's there's the testimony of the people who who were allowed to leave um which helped them and they they were um uh, they collected a lot of data from the stuff that they found the information they found in the uh, tunnels and the intelligence that they were able to get off of a lot of the computers and the cams which show people you know when they're um, that were alive. Nobody knows today what the real numbers are, but the assumption, this is what I was told, is the operating assumption right now. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app where listeners supported. Don't forget, today, everything you give uh, at fjbunity.org is doubled for Hanukkah. fjbunity.org, a matching grant awaits you. And thank you for your generosity, fjbunity.org. You obviously take it, Malcolm Honline with us, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents. You obviously take advantage of every connection you have, I'm sure, um, in terms of uh, trying to advocate for the hostages specifically, obviously for Israel in general and its goals in this war. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're in touch with people you know at the UN constantly about this. Have you had any conversation, not a criticism one way or the other, because I don't know who you know who you don't know. I'm just curious. Have you had any conversations or interaction with Red Cross officials, anybody who's a higher up who could possibly explain their behavior or lack of behavior in this situation? We and others have been constantly in touch with the Red Cross, demanding that they gain access. They say that they, you know, that they're not allowed to have access to it. Um, they they claim some reports here and there. That doesn't stop them from criticizing Israel and claiming accepting the other claims that the terrorists put forward. Uh, and the whole media buys into it. Nobody knows the real numbers. And uh, included in all of those numbers are a, a, a vast number of terrorists who they count as civilian casualties. Um, so the answer is the Red Cross has a long history in this regard. We've had many difficulties with them. 
At times, they render important services, but I have to say that in this case, as in others, they uh, have proved to be uh, toothless and, uh, if anything, even a negative uh, player at times. Absolutely amazing. Um, all right. We, we talk about multiple fronts, God forbid, and more being added to the war. Um, what could you tell us about what's happening now up north? Uh, we wonder why the enemy has not started. God forbid that we should give them that suggestion, but you get my point. Uh, what's happening up north? And as we continue to hear and read about the activities of the Israeli defense forces in Janine, what about the West Bank area? What about Judea and Samaria and the potential that the enemy there has the same type of arsenals that we've seen in Gaza? So uh, let's do for the, the Lebanon first. It's a very critical thing. And, and as you see, the active activation of Iranian-backed groups, which I've talked about here for a long time, about the ring around Israel from the Houthis to Gaza to Lebanon to Syria to Iraq. And, of course, Iran is the fulcrum of the whole thing. This is their setup. Uh, and we saw active, some activities based from Syria. Uh, and Lebanon uh, has been uh, a forefront. They, the Hezbollah has a tremendous amount of power. As you know, and people forget that um, uh, the resolution 1701, which led to Israel's withdrawal from Lebanon, was based on the assumption and the commitment that they that Hezbollah would be held north of the Latani River. Uh, which would be a natural barrier. And in fact, the U.N. forces job was to first and foremost to keep them out of the area near Israel's border. Not only did they not keep them out, they don't, don't keep out the transfer of weapons, including rockets. It's estimated 150,000 rockets in the hands of, of Hezbollah, many of them more sophisticated than what we've seen till now. We've seen them shooting the RPGs and doing some damage most about 65,000 residents of Israel's north have been removed to places like Jerusalem and elsewhere uh, the the activities have been limited on both sides Israel responds to provocations and the attacks that have come from Lebanon we know that Lebanon Hezbollah rather had an identical attack plan uh, in in mind in place for as they did in in Gaza, including breaching the barriers. Uh, they of course built these immense tunnels uh, to enter Israel. The goal was to to destroy and kill everybody on two bases near the Lebanon border, and to to kidnap people and bring them back to uh, to Lebanon. So the the their potential is very great. We believe that Iran does not want to risk. The destruction of their whole capacity, as you know, many of the rockets are in civilian homes in southern Lebanon, which means that you would have to have wholesale uh, carpet bombing of areas and uh, destruction of the of the infrastructure that supports uh, uh, Hezbollah. And Hezbollah today is part of the government of Lebanon, and therefore, in, 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 in the whole in the infrastructure of the whole country is is at the disposal of, of Hezbollah, despite sometimes efforts of the Lebanese army to assert the, the separation. But we know that where the power base is, uh, I think that the. The attacks now are meant to send a message. There were meetings before, for in the weeks before the attack on October 7th between Iranian Hezbollah and Hamas leaders in Lebanon. 
Um, and I mentioned it and said, I wonder what they're doing. This is highly unusual. Well, we know what they were doing. They are coordinating. They are working together. Uh, we believe that Hamas is setting up their own group inside Lebanon. They've already had offices there and, and people operating in Lebanon. But now it looks like they're setting up their own independent operation there. Uh So the Lebanese situation is a tinderbox. It could be set off. If you remember, not long ago, Israel agreed to a deal which would have let Lebanon begin exploration for oil and gas off the coast. And rather than do that, they're engaging still in the the military exploits at the cost of the people of Lebanon and and its freedom. It's the country is in devastated situation. Its economy is in ruins. And this becomes a diversion also for for Hezbollah, for the anger of the Lebanese people against them. In the West Bank, the reason we haven't had more, uh, I think, activity, and I think I pointed this out right after the attack, was that the, the Israelis moved preemptively over the last months in the West Bank. Remember when they went into Janine with a couple thousand soldiers and the world was critical? They were cleaning up. They were they prevented what could have been a huge attack, uh, an ongoing attack based on the infrastructure that existed just in Janine alone with the uh, arms factories, the, the weapons caches, the, the so much stuff that they had there. And the forces, they've, they've arrested many, many people, including this past week, hundreds of them, terrorists, uh, members of Hamas. And they they have been doing so systematically for a while. And I think that is what has prevented uh, an, um, a much more of a threat, an active threat coming from uh, from uh, Judea and Samaria against uh, against Israel. Uh, they, they are Hamas is today much more popular than Fatah is. And if there were an election, the Hamas would win easily. The, uh, the you know the Fatah is seen and Abbas is seen as an old doddering guy who can't deliver for anything for the people. <clears throat> and we could see you know that area continue to eat, but I think the continuing raids and arrests that are going on are really paying off. And maybe had we seen that kind of preventative action in Gaza. You might not have had what happened. By the way, uh, Malcolm, I, I, I know it's an issue in Israel, and those, you know, well, some will get the reference if they've been following the news. Walking, an IDF soldier walking into a mosque and screaming Shema Yisrael into a microphone heard by the enemy. It, 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 we have to remember that the, the strength is the only language they understand. So I I understand that not everybody's being tolerant of what the soldier did, but but you have to admit that if strength is the only thing they understand, the impact of that act goes so far. Would you agree or not? I think that the, um, you know, planting of flags on top of buildings and stuff sometimes, you know, communicates the wrong impression and enables them to exploit it by just reproducing the picture and adding their own headlines saying that, you know, Israel is announcing that they're conquering it, they're never going to leave, they're taking it, etc. So I think that, yeah, there has to be care because of how it's manipulated and how the press misreports what what actually took place in many of these instances and the uh, manipulation of, of actions like this that, um, you know, this is a serious war and these guys have been fighting amazingly against overwhelming odds. When you look at the 
at the terrible infrastructure that they're facing. You know, they're, they're, the underground tunnels are are bigger and longer than the London Metro. I mean, people don't understand it's 500 miles and the water that they're pouring into them, by the way, is working. Oh, and really? I think we may see an expansion of that. But I think the the um, you know they have to be careful when we see the, by, by the message they're sent and about how it can be exploited in the rest of the Arab world about what Israel's intention is and and you know how they're conducting this war with such care and with respect for the holy places. But the holy places are being used for, as launching grounds and as storage facilities, etc. They no longer have protection when they when they have been seconded to the army to the armed forces. So what do you think of the images that go around the world of uh, arrested terrorists who are stripped in order to make sure they don't have suicide belts on them? I don't know why we have to have the pictures, frankly, except to send a message to the other Hamas terrorists that, you know, guys, the things are collapsing around you. It's time to give it up. And hopefully that they hoping that they will get the message about it. <clears throat> As you know, that uh, not only there, but also in Janine, there was a, a lot of surrendered, but Many hundreds in the hospitals and all the other facilities have have turned themselves in and then they are questioned and valuable information has gotten from them. Uh, I don't know that that having them march in in their underwear, which was seen as a humiliation uh, in much of the Arab world uh, without knowing the background that these guys know to take off their pants because... So many of them do carry suicide belts and weapons. uh, weapons. Yeah. Um, You mentioned Fatah earlier, and of course, Mahmoud Abbas and the administration. It looks like the world, uh, Washington, um, others, are not going to accept any type of day-after resolution except for the PA taking over Gaza. Now, to us, I think, I think if I re- read you correctly, um, you know, it's, it's the best of all the horrible decisions about what to do going forward. How, as this war goes on, is Israel going to be able to diplomatically convince the West that they've got the situation under control and keep Gaza out of the hands of terrorists? The answer is that Israel just has to do what it has to do. It, it can't play to the headlines and it can't play to, to the whims. It has to take into account the messages that it receives from the United States and others. American aid is vital to, to this war effort. Uh, there's $14 billion now on the table for, for Israel. But you saw the shipment that uh, was done as an emergency shipment the past week of $100 million worth of tank shells and other equipment that Israel vitally needs. So while Israel has to pursue its national interest and its security interests, it also has to be mindful of and take into account the considerations. And we saw the visit this week of of the um, National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, and General Austin, the the, um, the Secretary of Defense, will be coming in a couple days from now. There have been a series of visits and phone calls between the President and Prime Minister and many others, uh, Blinken's visits. So they're keeping the lines of communication open. I think John Kirby's statement, statements as spokesperson have been remarkably uh, clear, clear and and um, precise with def- and defining Israel's case uh, about what Israel's done. Even saying this week that he doesn't know that America would have gone as far as Israel's done to protect civilian casualties. But the pressure is on from inside the political realms in America and from outside. 
I think that, um, you know, they need at least till the end of January for the heavy stuff and then to do cleanup operations. It's not going to be able to stop. And stopping prematurely assures them if Sinai and the others can just walk out and declare victory the day after. That will be terrible for America. It'll be terrible for all of our allies. It'll be terrible for the region and certainly for Israel. That's the point. So that, that's there's the, a balance that has to be struck here. Yeah. Now, that's the point that the prime minister's got to drive home to someone like President Biden. Um, leader of Hamas declaring victory would be <laughs> that that would be awful. Um the uh, with, with the with, with the congressional calendar, with the congressional schedule, and I apologize, I don't know the answer to this. Actually, I'm ashamed to a degree. I don't know the answer to this. This bill they keep talking about, uh, the aid package that links Ukraine with Israel, etc. What's the schedule? Is it is it now up for debate? Is it going to go soon to a vote? What's the story? Well. Unfortunately, I think that it's not likely to come up until after the recess, which has began, so it's not likely to be until later in January. They try to decouple it. You know, Israel, aid to Israel would pass immediately. Oh, wow. In a heartbeat, as you know, and the overwhelming vote in the House indicated that, and there would be overwhelming support in the Senate. Um, aid to Ukraine is not uh, popular in, in, in some quarters, and the demand uh, to tie also in the uh, revamping our policy and, and activities along the southern border as a security issue um, complicates it further. So I think that it's going to be very difficult to get a Senate vote on this. Um, and I guess that Israel can hold out till till um, mid-January. But this these funds are vital to purchase additional equipment. This is not money that's going to come for social welfare in Israel. It's going to go to, to buying additional equipment and stuff that they need. And, uh, you know, and that the vast majority of Congress support. There are some who want to condition that aid. That would be a terrible precedent. I mean, only Israel can judge what it needs to do when it needs to do it. And, you know, they're trying to, to do what they can to protect civilian populations, even circulating the maps in advance. I mean, the world forgets all the steps that Israel takes. It doesn't carpet bomb areas, and they abort flights when they see civilians. But are civilians going to be killed when they're being used as human shields? Yes. And the, the one to blame for that is Hamas. So punishing Israel by, by uh, because we can't to reach an agreement on the aid to Ukraine or aid or the policy on the southern border is unfortunate, but it's right now the political reality. Yeah, it's an unfortunate reality. Timing is everything, as they say. Next Friday, you're in Israel or back in the United States? Next Friday, I will be back in the United States. Uh, again, I want to urge everybody, if you're thinking of coming, come. If you have children studying here, learning here or not, if you want to just come and visit, it's beautiful here. They need to see us. There are, thank God, lots and lots of missions coming from all over the country, uh, Jews of every kind and non-Jews. And we have to continue to show that that's part of our responsibility to make our voices heard as well, to make sure that if you have kids on a campus, make their voices heard. The parents count as well as donors and, and alumni. Make your voices heard. That's our responsibility today. Yeah, that's, that's well said. Uh, enjoy Shabbat in Jerusalem and we'll speak, please, God, next week.
Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. If you appreciate segments like this and if you enjoy what we've been doing for 40 years at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network, please remember that right now every dollar you give today at fjbunity.org is doubled. Every dollar you give today, fjbunity.org is doubled. Please give and please give generously. 